I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porritt. I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Hello everyone. Later, Jerry Scott will be joining me. We're going to have a little talk about the House of Lords and the important role it will undoubtedly play in Brexit and the EU withdrawal bill. Then we'll do our Brexiteer of the Week. But first, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hope you all had a lovely Christmas. Unless any any Brexiteers are listening, obviously. In which case, we hope you had a really miserable Christmas. (laughs) So our first edition of the New Year is on the shelves, and in it we have printed our annual Brexit power list. Yes. And atop that list is Len McCluskey, above Theresa May. That's right. Why, if you're confused about this, you should really read the print edition of The New European or subscribe to it. You can subscribe to The New European digitally or in print by going to our website, which is theneweuropean.co.uk. Brilliant. <laughs> Don't need to put the advert in anymore. Steve. No, Thanks that's it. Yeah, so, I mean, it's worth poring over the list. There's lots of uh, there's lots of interesting people in there. And not just people, in fact, groups of people and things, even. Who's, um, who are the surprises in the list for you? The surprises? Um, not many, because you helped to compile it, I suppose. <laughs> yes. yes, I wasn't surprised by many of them. I think... That I think people will be surprised by by number one actually, but I think it's by Lem McCluskey. But I think there's a perfectly good rationale for it, and that's why it's worth maybe digging a bit deeper into the printed product, which we can't, which simply haven't got time to do on no. the podcast. Is it because he looks like the comedy character Barry from Watford? Well, you're giving it away now. Oh, it's not. It isn't. That isn't it. But he does look very much like Barry from Watford. But I think if you were to ask the general public, and a lot of commentators, who their top five would be, people like David Davis would be in there. Yeah. Uh-uh. No. Um, not even in the hundred? No, he's in the hundred, he's just not in the top five. Oh, OK. But I'm t- I mean, he, he, obviously he's a big player in Brexit, but he's he's not the biggest player. Yes. Um, so there's a bit more thought going into it. But I thought we could go through, instead of going through the whole list, I thought we could look at the risers and fallers. Yes. So, first of all, let's have a look at the highest new entries, top five highest new entries... So this is from last year's list to this year's. So number one, yeah, is the politicians of Ireland. Yes, we've we've grouped together Ireland. We have, yeah, controversial Rather. move. But the reason being that Veradka obviously has got going to have a big say in this, and we already know that Arlene Foster has had a pretty big say in yeah. in in things, and that's going to continue. It's unfinished business, isn't very it, much it? unfinished business, and, and could derail the whole thing. I think it's probably the thing most likely to derail the whole thing. Yes. Number two, the 1922 committee. 
So the theory with that, I'm guessing, is, and, I've, and I've, I've, I did read this yesterday, um, but the theory with that is that if this continues, so if, if the government keep doing... Well, they've had such a good week, haven't they? So train, train fares, <laughs> yeah, really Toby well. Young, yeah, yeah. Uh, the NHS. NHS. Crisis, yeah. um, so the theory is, I guess, that if this persists... Eventually, the 1922 committee will knock on Theresa yeah, May's Graham door. Graham Brady will. Um, I've got, uh, lots of the 1922 committee got awards, of course, in the New Year's Honours. They did, which yeah. is nice for them. But that was just for their long yes, service absolutely. and I'm dedication. Not su- to... Suggesting for a second, Steve, that there's anything untoward going yeah. on. Number three on that highest new entry Seamus Milne. Famous Seamus Milne. Seamus Milne. Yeah. I stood next to shit. Well, he was pacing about, so he, he wouldn't stand still for very long, but I was, I was in his vicinity, close yeah. vicinity. While Jeremy Corbyn was delivering his seven-hour conference speech uh, in oh, right, Brighton, yeah. and Seamus knew every word, mm. he was mouthing the words along. He was listening and moving around as as Jeremy was. It was it was quite a sight, actually. It's a shame he couldn't have mouthed a better speech, isn't it? Really? <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, I would say that from are we to infer from that that he wrote the speech? I think he was heavily involved. Yes, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. but uh, but I mean, what I'm saying is he. He, he is all powerful. He coached along with it. He's Number not a natural four. comedian, is he, Seamus Milne, I would say. I think that's unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think it's unfair. He's he's got some great, you know, One artist jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, Sir Vince Cable. Sir Vince Cable, yeah. Sir Vince Cable wasn't in all these people weren't in the list last year. No. Vince Vince Cable makes sense of this because of course he's had a fairly extraordinary comeback actually, hasn't he? He's, a, he's made know. a very big comeback, he's, hasn't he? He's back and he's leader. But you know he's got a big year ahead, hasn't he? He's he's scraped. He's, he's into. He's not scraped into our list, but he's in our list. Yeah, he's got but, to prove it now. But I think actually the Lib Dems have had a good, a good start to the year. Their press has been getting some good cut through. Um, me and Jerry are going to talk about Sir Vince's intervention with regards to how he's going to use the, his peers. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think I'm, I'm semi hopeful for Vince to have a, a decent year. Exit from Brexit is a nice line, isn't it? It, it rhymes and everything. It rhymes and everything. I and would then, say that he is. <laughs> He's he's seventy five. I know it's I know it's ages, but he's seventy five in May. Can you imagine? Um, I mean, I struggle to even do up your own trousers now. Yes, hence I'm sat with none on. Yeah, <laughs> and he is going to be seventy five. They were, I mean, Corbyn's not a young man. They, they work very hard. These people they and, do, and and they're not. I don't know what it is they've got. It's the elixir of political youth, isn't it? I don't know what is it. What is it about them? Well, it's probably all that muesli that the Lib Dems eat. Yeah. I, there will be complaints for They'll that be, now, yeah. won't they? I'm, well, I'll, I'm complaining already. Cut that out. Okay, so number five on the high street entries, the EU27. Each of them has a veto, of course. Yeah. So they could basically just say no. No deal. Everyone's going home. You've got to go off. Yeah. Do your own thing. Yeah, bugger off. I think. Do you think that is likely? I think it's what is going to become more and more important now that we get onto phase two and we get towards that final deal is how the EU themselves, how Brussels... Deal with the U twenty seven. Yes, and I think that that is going to be uh, that's a really tricky job. Yes, um, and and there's not a great deal that the UK team can can do. No, there isn't. There really, I suppose they can. You know, they can be diplomatic meetings, and they can be you know visits from the likes of Boris Johnson. They always help. Yeah, but uh, only one. But it only takes one. Yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. it only takes yeah. Ireland. Exactly. <laughs> for for yeah, instance. Yeah, exactly. And it only and I and I am guessing that. You know, if you're locked in a room with somebody over two years, even if it is David Davis, 
you are going to feel some empathy towards them and there is going to be some bonding and a little bit of give and take, isn't there? But I think that's maybe true of some of the other people in the room. I'm struggling with David Davis yeah. as an example. Okay, but when they present this back to the EU27, they're not going to have been in those rooms and they're going to say, why have you backed down on this? Why have you, why have mm, you compromised exactly. on that? Exactly, yeah. Go yeah. back and tell them. It's going to be a tricky one there. It is. It's the biggest fallers. Now, the first two I feel a bit sorry for, but um, because yeah. they, they, you know, it's just the fact that they were they were probably more active last year than they, they have been this year. And that is, number one, Richard Branson, uh, who fell 74 places, and number two, Gary Lineker. Um, so neither of those people who I know listen to the pod and read the paper yeah. um, should feel disparaged no. by that. But the third definitely should. That's Nigel Farage. Yeah, he's down a whopping fifty-nine places, which I think just proves that he's you know all this time last year there was lots of bluster about how he had influence with the White House and how he was going to get a peerage and all this kind of nonsense. And all we've heard from him is his usual. Really, yeah, well, it? he just seems more and more marginalised yeah. and more and more like the saloon bar loony that he always was. Absolutely. So, um, But didn't he give Steve Bannon a portrait of Steve Bannon dressed as Napoleon? <laughs> I think he's. I think he does that for everyone he likes. Does he? Yeah, he's, I've got one. You've got one of you. Who are you dressed as? Napoleon? Yeah, everyone dressed as everyone Napoleon. Dresses, does he do it himself in his garden? Yeah, in and he, then... <laughs> yeah, and he gave Annabelle one as well, but the... It was Napoleon's arse was out in the moonlight. <laughs> okay, fine. Number four is Lloyd Blankfin. That's the Goldman Sachs chief exec. I think there's there's not been a great movement on what on Goldman Sachs's stance really on Brexit. It's a sort of you know we might we might move everyone abroad, we might not. So I think that's why he's dropped. Yeah. And then Nick Timothy is number five. He was high on the list last year because he was very influential. And he used that huge power and influence to completely screw up the Tories. <laughs> yeah, um, and potentially wreck Brexit. But he still Cheers, is, Nick. He still is on the list because um, he, he, him and Theresa May certainly still speak. So he still is influential to some yeah. extent. He's, highest climbers. Highest climbers. Who do you think? So well, highest, let's count it down from five to four. Okay, so Corbs is at five, isn't he? Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's fair enough. Obviously, he had a great year. Yeah, he was at forty last year because he wasn't really saying or doing anything, and that has continued to some extent with regards to Brexit. Mm. But he's now far more powerful, and yes. if he was to do something, it would make a much bigger impact. Yes, um, Michel Barnier, I think you know he he's got a big year ahead of him, so he climbs quite uh, quite a number of places, and he's the fourth on our highest climbers. Number three is an interesting one. Yeah, Nicky Morgan. Nicky Morgan. Because the scourge of the leather trouser. That's right. That's right. Yes, uh, and also chairman of the Treasury Select Committee, um, which is going to be well, which arguably is the most powerful select committee anyway uh, in any times. But it's going to be um, you know even more powerful as we head through Brexit. Yeah. Number two, Hillary Benn. Hillary Benn, and I think the reason for for him uh, climbing this year again is is the fact that he is the chairman of the Brexit. That's select right. committee, which again is going to be very, very powerful. And number one, no, well, the highest climber, the highest climber is Michael Gove. Michael Gove, and I, I think that Michael Gove is going to be very influential on on where Brexit goes because I think he's a bright guy, and I think he, I think he's very manipulative. Yes, and he's seen as, I mean. He's seen as getting on well with other people, isn't he? Yeah. Um, he's well, 
you know, I mean, I've, I've... last year we scraped into the list at ninety nine. I think really because we wanted to poke some fun at him for being put out to pasture. But yeah. um, you know, we, we've had the smiles wiped off. Our well, he has actually the... has literally been put out to pasture <laughs> now, hasn't he? <laughs> he, um, has. he has. And I see that he is supporting the. He's big into beavers now, isn't he? Um, and he's, I'm not going to rise to that. And his new, you know, okay, I'm not going to rise to the beaver. So, um, <laughs> and his new initiative is that he's he's a big supporter of wildflowers, isn't he? Well, aren't we all? Um, so you're going to be instead of receiving your EU subsidy, yeah, you are going to receive your EU subsidy, aren't you, for, for quite five years, for, yeah. for quite a few years, despite the <laughs> fact that we're only going to have a transition for a couple of years <laughs> yeah. in his in his mind absolutely but all the subsidies they're going to have to go on for much longer than that yeah yeah and then you're going if you're paul dacre or james dyson and you've got yes. one of these huge estates as long as you plant a load of wildflowers yeah it's good. well this fine. is this is the the um the utopian post-brexit britain yeah with wildflowers everywhere children gaily skipping through them what's that going to do for ordinary farmers who have got Quite small. It'll be fine. They will. They will have to pick the flowers. Yeah. And sell them. Only, only, only hiring British people to pick the wildflowers. And then sell them by the roadside, perhaps. Yeah. Well, like to people in queues, your traffic queues, they could do their windows as well. Yeah, yeah. Whereas so major f- Brexity landowners like Paul Dacre and uh, James Dyson will will be able to hire people to get the wildflowers and then. Um, sow the wildflowers and then continue to rake in a huge amount of money for doing very little. Yeah, basically. So that's the future of farming. Great. I'm glad, we, glad we've glad that's, that's sorted, sorted that one out. Um, so yes, there's the power list. Please do get hold of a copy of the paper and check it out because it's fascinating stuff um, and there's lots of great insight um, into all 100 people who make the list. And it'll be fascinating to see if our predictions are played out. <laughs> there was some rather embarrassing ones in the list last year that we said were very important and weren't. Um, but Who was equally, that? When we said that Lulu was the sixth <laughs> most influential person in Brexit, I was I was expecting a major intervention for her, from her. Well, I've been waiting for it. I got it on very good authority that Lulu was going to topple, yeah. topple Brexit, <laughs> and it just never happened. And I look stupid now. Well, I know we won't make that mistake again. Talking to people who want to topple Brexit, oh, and want to shout about it, oh, and he, oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, and he's in the. He's in the list, isn't he? Oh, he's he? in the list, yeah, he's in the list. He is in the list. Tony Blair is back and has been in the news this week. Yeah. Um, the, again, ground by the paper, because the whole piece that he's written is in the paper. I think you'll see a lot of um, abridged versions. Yes, um, the elsewhere. fullest version uh, of his uh, of his piece, of his very good piece, I will say, um, is to be found in the New European, and it's actually online at the theneweuropean.co.uk as well, um, if you want to do that. Now... Presumably, a lot of listeners are already sort of crossing themselves, or they might be fast-forwarding through this bit because Tony Blair comes with baggage, doesn't he? He and, does. He does. And on Thursday, I, when when we put the full version of his piece online, I tweeted something like, "Even if you find Tony Blair irredeemably toxic, he's right about this," yeah. which is saying which is saying that Brexit is. An impending disaster, yeah. and Labour risk being the handmaids of Brexit if yeah. they don't um, put some clear 
blue or red water between themselves and the Conservatives on this. And he's right about that. So I, I tweeted that, and a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, tweeted back, well, Adolf Hitler was good on vivisection and the link between cancer and cigarettes as well. And although he was being deliberately provocative, and it was the kind of Rick Mailey thing yeah. that a lot of people will say, a lot of people on the left and the right and in the middle mm. do think that about mm. Tony Blair. Mm. I think... You make a good point in that he he's probably when he makes these interventions, he's probably talking more sense than anyone at the moment, um, and that's because firstly he's a very clever chap, but also he knows how these things work. He's been in some very complex negotiations, yep. Northern Ireland for a start, um, and he understands uh, you know what what this will mean for the country going forward. He doesn't have to put any bluster on it. He doesn't have to win any votes on the back of it. He's just talking because he feels that this is the truth. Um, so just going, Tony Blair, he should be tried in a war criminal court, you know, is, is a ridiculous response to to a, a chap who was Prime Minister for 10 years and won Labour three elections. One of them... After the invasion of Iraq, the yeah. left have looked to to you know ruin his legacy by blaming everything that went wrong on him. The Tories, you know, call it the coalition, and now the Tories still hark back to what support the chaos that supposedly went on in um, uh, under Blair. But actually, when he makes these interventions, he's more statemently and more prime ministerial than anyone we've had since him. Yes. Um, I That's mean, true. I, you know, I, I, I'm a big defender of Tony Blair, and I think, I mean, we forget that under that um, under that Labour government that Blair presided over, the national minimum wage was brought in. Yep. Now it might not be high enough, and it might not be policed well enough, but without him and his government, we wouldn't have one at all. Because I can tell you now, the coalition and the Tories today wouldn't be bringing it in. Um. When Blair came into power, there was three million pensioners living in poverty in this country. Three million. When he left, there was only two million. That alone is an extraordinary thing to have achieved mm. in ten years. An extraordinary thing. Stopping child poverty was a big sort of a big policy for for Blair's government, and that alone should I mean that should be applauded. Um, but it was it was enshrined into law. Mm. I mean, these are really good progressive policies that are still having an impact on our society and our country for the better today. Every hospital, A&E, was modernised or replaced in the Labour years. Everyone. Yeah. Um, waiting lists dropped hugely. GDP grew. Um, and, of course, the crowning glory, the Good Friday Agreement, in my opinion, the crowning glory, yeah. I know that there was, I, I absolutely agree that there was a lot of work done Major beforehand by John Major, that, yeah. and, and uh, you know, he, he deserves to be remembered as well. But Blair's lot got it over the line, and I don't think any of those things would have happened with any of the leaders we've had since, um, you know, I, I'm probably being a bit mean to Gordon Brown, but certainly the Tory leaders since. Well, maybe. Well, you, I, I, well, I would. I wouldn't disagree with a lot of that, and, and maybe it wouldn't have happened with those leaders since. I, I think you know. I think we have to accept that for whatever reason he went into it, and I still continue to believe that he went into it for the best of possible reasons. But yes. the the decision to go into Iraq and then the way that the war was progressed in Iraq was 
disastrous. Absolutely. I, you know, I was furious and still am furious with yeah. Tony Blair for, for that decision, but I don't believe he did it for any reasons other than the best intent. No. He had the best intention. But I think there are a lot of people who would disagree with us yes, on I'm sure with, they are. with us sure on that are. and I think yeah. they've they very much got the right to their opinion yes, and, and there are valid there were there are valid reasons for them to to believe that. What Tony Blair is saying now is He's making a point that the vast majority of Labour Party members, if we believe this YouGov poll for Queen Mary University, yeah. actually believe. Yeah. Eight in ten Labour members want a second EU referendum, according to that poll. Yeah. And there is a disconnect between the new mass membership of the Labour Party and the Corbyn and Seamus Milne and McDonnell wing of the Labour Party. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I... and he's making that point, very eruditely, I think. And just to draw a line somewhat under... Under Tony Blair and under um, under the Labour thing, he's 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 ravages Labour in this piece as well. Calls them timid, yeah, and and all points that I agree with, yeah, and and all good points. But the the way that they've made the word Blairite a term of abuse, yes. I think, is a disgraceful. A disgraceful thing. Yes. This is a man that won the party three elections well, on the bounce. Yeah. I mean, whatever else he did in uh, uh, and whatever <clears throat> whatever happened in Iraq, he made the poorest people in this country better off, and he improved schools and hospitals in this country. Yeah. And and for that, you know, that you get a, you get a certain amount. Of, you should get a certain amount of credit for. From one, from one leader who should be listened to. <laughs> yeah. To Donald Trump. Oh yeah. This is great stuff, isn't it? Well, it's, this book. I mean, it's it's been an exciting, <laughs> exciting few days. Michael Wolf. I, I mean, I, I really love this these revelations from the Michael Wolf book, but of course, Trump's been Trump's been tweeting his his big, yeah, his big red button. Yeah. Um, it's funny because we put pictures of uh, we we put a cartoon. In fact, we got some complaints about it, but we put we a did. cartoon on the front of the paper with Trump and Kim Jong Un uh, waving their missiles at each other. Yes. In a, in a sort of genital... They were pos- positioned over their genital areas, do, weren't they? Do these men actually have nuclear missiles for genitals? I think they do. Yeah, I, I think we, we'll dig a bit deeper on that one. But we've, we, Michael Wolf didn't find out whether whether Donald Trump's genitalia is a nuclear yeah. missile, but he did find out some, some good stuff. I mean, the burgers got me. He, he got, if he wasn't dining with Steve Bannon... Mm. What an awful thing that would be to eat, <laughs> to eat across from Steve Bannon. Imagine Agreed. that. But so if Trump wasn't dining with Steve Bannon, he would go, he goes to bed at six thirty, right? Now I have a very inconsequential job in the great scheme of things. I agree. Yes, getting more inconsequential all the time. <laughs> yes, some would say. Thanks, boss. But I, I'm still busy on most nights at about half past six. But the president of the United States goes yeah. to bed with a cheeseburger. Yeah. At six thirty, and watches three televisions, and then he and he throws his dirty clothes on the floor <laughs> like a, like. A, how old is he? He's in his seventies, isn't he? He's like the world's yeah. oldest teenager. He, he is. He is I a actually, lot like that. I actually, I've I've got to say, three TVs in the room. He goes to bed at six thirty. He eats cheeseburgers in bed, and he's got clothes all over his bedroom floor. And I actually thought that's not that bad. I'm kind of warm to this he's, guy he's now. So, he, yeah. Well, Do you know what else made me warm to him? The line in the in the retort to Bannon, yeah, which which it's great. It should be the start of. For me, I can I can only read this line, and whenever I read it, it's like the start of an American sitcom of the nineteen seventies. A little voiceover before the music comes on. When Steve Bannon was fired, he not only lost his job, he lost his mind. 
And Steve Bannon would be trying to crack some wacky private. He'd be a private detective. Bannon, PI. Yeah. Eating out of his dog bowl. Yeah, yeah. Whiskey in a mug. Yeah, fantastic. From the bottom drawer. Brilliant. All the exactly the, the bottom drawer, and there would just be a file marked Cox, another from far below, snowflakes, and then woo, my bottom drawer full of whiskey and my dog bowl full of burgers. I like this as well. How much influence do you think Steve Bannon has over me? Trump allegedly said zero, zero, <laughs> zero, zero. What was the greatest line in, in Bannon's uh, the, the greatest Bannon quote in the Michael Wolf thing? Is um, is obviously they're gonna crack Don Junior like an egg on yeah. national TV. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. don't, I don't know what Steve Bannon is on, and I, well, I think it's pointless speculating. But I would, I would certainly like some of it. I think. But Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who seems to me like a truthful and plain speaking woman, has said that he's he I might a bit, have done. I, I a bit fancier. Do you? <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I might take. I might sit right, like tweet her and see if she wants to go for a drink. Oh, that's that's what Toby Young would do. <laughs> we'll um, get on to that. We'll um, get on to that. But she says that he might have done two hundred in- interviews, but all two hundred have been with Steve Bannon or Steve Bannon's mates, basically, hasn't it? So it it seems too good to be true. Anything could be true, and in these days, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. In the Trump White House, it doesn't matter if it's true or I, not. I mean, you just read it with. The, this growing sense of it's amusement and horror, isn't it? And and just and, and confirmation that everything you you know everything you thought about Trump was was true. But it is an extraordinary piece of work by Michael Wolff. Um, Michael Wolff also alleges that um, Rupert Murdoch, after putting the phone down, um, not on Trump, but putting the phone down after after a conversation with him, turned to an aide and said, "What a f-ing idiot." <laughs> Which is, he's, hasn't he just picked that up off the New European podcast when we discussed Nigel Farage? Yes, perhaps. So Nigel Farage, who as we know is a f***ing idiot of Brexit, was followed by... Oh, oh God. Uh, her. Google him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Henry Bolton. Oh, yeah, Henry Bolton. Yeah. And Henry Bolton has literally done nothing. No, for... well, he's, no, we know <laughs> well, what he's been up well, to well, now, well. don't we? But we, he didn't even make it onto our power list. No. Because he's just not really spoken about anything. But to be fair, it looks like he's had his hands full. It's been revealed that he is in a relationship with glamour model, actress and Brexiteer. Yeah, as her, as her bio says, her Twitter bio. Joe Marnie. Joe Marnie. Um, who's 29. Yeah. Which is all well and good, but... He was married until rather recently. Oh, I think he still is married, but he was certainly with yeah. his wife until recently. He's got a Russian wife, Henry Bolton, and Tatiana Smirnova. Yeah, couldn't get much more Russian than that, no, could you? No, Tatiana no, she Smirnova. Vodka and... and but she has gone home. She's so gone. that is, I think that is the one immigrant that Henry Bolton will successfully <laughs> repatriate in his political career. So well done, Henry. Thanks, Steve. Jerry's next. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting Podcast One, or order online at our website, www.neweuropean.co.uk. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European.
Welcome back. I'm joined by Jerry Scott. Jerry, did you have a good Christmas and New Year? Yes, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, we're going to have a chat about the upper chamber. I think it's mm-hmm. time we discussed the House of Lords because we've we've touched on the, the way that the bill will pass through the, uh, the sorry the EU withdrawal bill will pass through the House of Commons and the House of Lords, and we'll and you're going to explain that again for us. But there's been a few changes, hasn't there? A few things have happened. Yeah, just a few. So, so te- first of all, tell us about that bill, where we're at and how it passes through so we can get that out of the way. Yeah, so let's look at where we are kind of so far. We already know, don't we, that to make something a law, a bill goes through the first and second reading in the House of Commons, usually can start in the House of Lords, committee stage, report stage, third reading, and the same happens in the other chamber. And if the two can't agree, it, you know, ping-pongs back and forth, doesn't it, until... Yeah. Well, until they eventually do agree or... The it, government can't Or the government kind of overrides it, it, it but... Yeah. Um, but that's rare, isn't it? Um, yeah. So where we're at at the moment with the withdrawal bill is it's passed the committee stage in the House of Commons. That was on the 20th of December. Uh-huh. Um, and it's due for the report stage on the 16th of January. And after that, there's one more Commons debate before it hits the Lords. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's where we're at at the moment. And So when so it'll go to, so it goes to the Lords and then it comes back to the Commons with amendments? Yeah, essentially. Um, well... <laughs> You know, presuming there will be amendments, and as we know, there will be. Yes. Yeah, but if it was a straightforward one, it could, you know, go straight, go straight out. But no, that is not going to be the case. It'll it's not going to be go the case. back. So this is going to be a lengthy process, is, as we already knew. As but, we knew. So talking of those amendments and potential problems for the government uh, when it gets into the Lords, um, tell us about uh, the Lib Dems because this is quite an important intervention on Vince Cable's part. Yeah, it is. Uh, Vince Cable's been out, as any servants, saying that he's going to use the House of Lords to fight Brexit. Um, this is, you know, Lib Dems have got quite a bit of strength in the House of Lords. Yeah, um, got 100 peers. Around that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, for some this is really problematic, giving servants this kind of distaste and the Lib Dems' distaste for the House of Lords yes. in general. Yes. Um, uh, let me read the quote. He was yes. asked on, on LBC whether he would use uh, try and use the Lords to derail Brexit um, because he said he doesn't want a peerage yeah. as Nick Clegg has even though they're both knighted they're not you know they're, they're not, it's not a peerage no so no different things um, he, he said and obviously yes uh, no <laughs> um, I'd like to have the old system reformed it's a bad system but as long as it's there we've got to make it work I'm not happy to use it but I will a round of applause for Sir Vince, very pragmatic. Yeah, um, but that, I mean, that is a, a major worry for the government. Yeah. Because obviously you've got Labour peers, um, there will be uh, other Tory peers who maybe feel a bit freer yeah. than the Tory MPs. Absolutely. Is there a danger for the government that the bill is going to just get completely ravaged in the Lords? I mean, what's the, what could happen? Well, like you say, um, Tories, they don't have a majority in the House of Lords, um, even though they do, you know, a very slim one, don't they, in yeah. the Commons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's expected to be some really intense scrutiny of this bill. and Quite right. Yeah, absolutely, and various amendments and stuff. Um, you know, of course, the government's already faced a significant defeat with this bill in the Commons, when yeah. MPs vote to have a full yeah. vote on the final deal. And, you know, peers are worried about the extent to which, you know, these so-called Henry VIII powers are going to be used. And that is the main amendment that, well, really, you know, the topic that we're going to be looking at. There's also quite considerable unease about the vagueness of some of the withdrawal bill's language. Um, Are you familiar with Lord Judge? 
Yes. Favourite of mine, actually, considering he's a former Lord Chief Justice, I think he's got the best name for the job. He's got a great name. He's a crossbencher. He said the bill's language about how the UK will relate in the future to decisions by their EU um, Court of Justice um, was insufficiently clear. And, you know, he's a top bloke saying that, isn't he? He knows... He knows his stuff. Um, I think what we're going to get from from the Lords, and we'll touch on Andrew Donis because I, I think yeah. he's going to be the guy that will can really push this forward. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's like a he is like a, a dog with a bone when he's got a project, and I think he has now. And I think we've seen from his resignation <laughs> between Christmas and New Year where you know what he thinks of this mess. Um, but what we'll see with Lords is they don't have constituencies. Nope. Um, so they don't have that concern. You know, there's lots of pe- lots of remain. MPs who have leave constituencies who are worried because there's always an election coming up, there's always an election to worry about, even if one hasn't been called. They're freer. Mm-hmm. Um, Less at, fear of the whips as at, well. Absolutely, well, the whip exists, but not in the same manner. No. Um, so the Lords, a lot of people moan about the Lords, you know, they get £300 and all this sort of stuff every time they turn up for <laughs> 10 minutes. And But I think this is a this could be a really great moment in in the modern history of the upper chamber in making sure that this bill, if it has to, if it has to um, go through, then for it to work in a in a proper way, and for where the where the government and where the House of Commons as a whole actually have 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 not done their duty correctly on no. certain elements, the Lords can step in and yeah, sort it out. Absolutely, there are a few kind of specific things that certain peers may be bringing up. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see, but. Um, you've got Lord's Lib Dem leader, Lord Newby, um, who said that you know he's likely to want to try and force a second referendum on the final deal. Yeah. Look, that's likely to be defeated, obviously. It is, but, it's an, but there's an interesting groundswell. And the, and the Lib Dems, well, I mean, there's always, been a, there's always been a lot of spot for that, but the Lib Dems are launching this campaign. I think we spoke about it on the pod a few weeks mm-hmm. ago, actually, to get this second referendum by December. Yeah, and, and he that's... said he wants to show that opinion is shifting, yeah, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he's under no kind of illusions that really that we are going to get, I think, that second referendum from an amendment no, from the Lords. No. Um, but, yeah, to show that things are things are shifting. You already mentioned um, Lord Adonis, who said he's felt he's, he's duty-bound to oppose the Brexit bill relentlessly from the Labour benches. Yeah. So that kind of gives you a feel of the kind of sentiment, doesn't it? Um, but it's not just, it's not just um, the Lib Dems and Labour either. There are some Tories as well. If you look at Baroness Altman... She was one of the two Conservatives who backed the Lib Dem amendment in March for a referendum. Uh-huh. And she's actually warned that she'd walk away from the Tories if they pursued a hard Brexit. Yeah. I mean, this is all going to cause a lot of a lot of trouble between the uh, the House of Commons and the other place, the, uh, the upper chamber. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be just great to watch. I mean, yeah. it's going to be sit back and watch the fireworks, I think. Yeah, and I think the Lords have definitely got a bit of an upper hand. It's like, like we said, they can't... They can't stop it going through indefinitely, yeah. um, but they can delay it, can't they? They can delay it for a significant amount of time, and the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. Theresa May set that day. I mean, the delay, the potential delay is important because there comes a point where the government might just have to go, we can't carry on playing ping pong yeah. with this bill, we're going to have to, and you know. But also, I think the, mo- the most important thing is... Even more important than the delay for me is the fact that I feel it's going to get a much more rigorous scrutiny in the in the House of Lords than it than it did in the House of Commons. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, if we have to Brexit, then the everyone, whatever you voted, deserves the bill to be properly scrutinised. That's yes, yes. what Parliament does as a whole, 
and it would be nice finally um, because although we've had you know certain heroes Dominic Grieve etc mm-hmm. um, it, it really there was there were certain things there were certain moments in the commons which left a very bad taste in the mouth um, and I think that it's going to be great, to hopefully, fingers crossed, to see the Lords when they get their hands on it finally uh, start tearing it up. Okay, thanks, Jerry. Obviously, we'll be keeping a very close eye on on that. I know you will be, and you will report back on future podcasts. Thank you very much. Brexiteer of the week. It's Brexiteer of the week, Steve. I'm not the Brexiteer of the week, but I know a few people who might be. Let's talk about Bill Etheridge first, West Midlands MEP, and he has uncovered a secret EU plot to form an Olympic super team at the 2036 Games, and he says it's all a cunning bid to out-medal Team GB. He told The Telegraph that he'd overheard plotters using the word solidarity, which tends to be code for an even closer union. He said it speaks to their plan to create a United States of Europe. I'm certain there was some jealousy of Britain's success in 2012 or 2016, and they want a piece of our success. Now, this could all be a massive plot, couldn't it, to form a European super team and humiliate the newly Brexited uh, Great Britain, or it could just be that some people he heard in a canteen saying, wouldn't it be a good idea if we had some kind of informal team in 2036 because it's the 100th anniversary of Adolf Hitler's games and we'll show that that kind of one country going off and being stupid on its own doesn't really work. Anyway, um, Bill Etheridge said the whole plan was crazy. As somebody who believes that he's uncovered a secret plot and as somebody who uh, once wrote a book praising gollywogs and as somebody who had his um, election campaign launched in a curry house to prove he wasn't a racist, I would say that the term crazy might well be used uh, by some people to talk about Bill Etheridge. Now, Norman Tebbit, the Chingford skinhead, rises from the grave and he has called for Theresa May to withdraw the Tory whip from his old cabinet sparring partner, Heza. Lord Heseltine, who suggested that pro-EU Conservatives should consider voting Labour to stop Brexit. Now, Norman Tebbit called this a betrayal, and I would be interested to hear whether he thought it was also a betrayal when another Lord said in 2013 that Conservative voters are so fed up with Cameron that they are going to turn to UKIP as the party which comes closest to a traditional Conservative agenda and a reasoned position on Europe, and no one could blame them for that. And who said that? It was Norman Tebbit. Let's talk about Christmas now. It was lovely, wasn't it? But Mm. not if you were Bob Neal's nemesis. Bob Neal, of course, one of the Tory Brexit rebels. He got a Christmas card. On the front, it said, The peace and joy of God be upon you. And inside was written another seasonal message, which read... Judas, leave the country and never come back. So Bob Neal's nemesis, nearly the Brexiteer of the week, and nearly this Arsenal fan called Azak, um, who I saw on Twitter, he posted 7.15pm, December the 25th, and his, this post, I thought, sums up the very special magic that Brexit will have brought to millions of British homes during this festive season. <laughs> he tweeted, had enough of my family. Uncle brought up Brexit. Everyone started slating Brexit, making fun of blue passports. Dad called me a retard for voting Brexit. Squared up to him. Offered him out. 
Gave him a little shove. Stormed out the house. Won't be going back. It's a Brexmas <laughs> story to warm the heart. That's brilliant. I'm it follow is. Azak. Everyone follow Azak, Azak on Twitter. On Twitter. And just send him a kiss. And talking of uh, the Christmas spirit, Nadine Dorries. She was full of it. Well, she's normally full of it. But she was full of it on the 27th of December when she tweeted that left-wing snowflakes were dumbing down Panto. Mm. Now, I don't know how you can dumb down Panto, but she <laughs> thinks that left-wing snowflakes are doing it. But, look, thankfully there are some other great British traditions which aren't being dumbed down, like TV, you know, on which Nadine Doris appeared during I'm a Celebrity 2012 eating lamb's testicles and ostrich's anus. Yeah, that's chewy. No, no dumbing down. And then there's literature, isn't there? Oh, she writes some wonderful books. To which Nadine Doris has contributed seminal works like The Angels of Lovely Lane, yeah. The Mothers of Lovely Lane, yeah. and The Children of Lovely Lane. Yeah. I, I like the uncles, the estranged uncles of Lovely Lane the most. <laughs> and then the people who live just down the road from Lovely Lane. <laughs> On the um, estate. And she wrote a book called The Four Streets, which even the Daily Telegraph in 2014 said, is the, said was the worst novel uh, that the, the critic had read in 10 years. Wow. However, there's only one Brexiteer this week, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. And it's got to be Toby Young. Now, Toby Young, despite the fact that he called working-class undergraduates universally unattractive and vaguely deformed, despite the fact that he's published, got history of publishing uh, a lot of leering, sexist, revolting tweets... Uh, despite the, um, d- despite various other uh, crimes and misdemeanours of, of which people will well be aware, it was decided by the government this week, in a week where the rail fares rose and NHS operations were cancelled, that it would be a really good idea to appoint him to a new university watchdog. And I just wanted everyone to think back to Toby's greatest his greatest moment as a Brexiteer. Now, obviously, he's got this job, hasn't he? Because he's a mate of Joe Johnson, he's a mate of Boris Johnson, da-da-da-da-da, and he appears tirelessly on these TV shows looking like a sort of strained-mouthed version of Harry Hill uh, defending the indefensible. Um, And his greatest moment, I think, as a Brexiteer came in 2011 when... I don't know if you remember this, but there was a rally against austerity, wasn't there, that was organised by the TUC in 2011. And hundreds of thousands, I think it was two or 300,000, turned up in in London. I was on on that march. Mm -hmm. Toby and his mates, in response to this very successful march, organised a thing called the Rally Against Debt, which Mm. was against EU bailouts of countries that were in debt. And although this event attracted star names like Nigel Farage and his then-mistress Annabel Fuller... Was there a full moon? Uh, well, Farage looks amazing in the moonlight. Um, <laughs> only 350 people turned up, so hundreds of thousands, and then, you know... But Toby was there. 350. No. Ah. Despite writing, a few days before the event, anyone who cares about Britain's future should attend the rally against debt, Toby Young was not there, because he'd accepted free tickets to an exhibition about pirates at London's Docklands Museum. So, Captain Hogwash, um, Toby Young, is the Brexiteer of the Week. That was the New European Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe, please like, 
please leave us reviews that really helps us and go out and buy the paper it's £2.50 it's on sale now it's got the power list in as we said it's also got tons of other stuff in there as well not just politics not just Brexit there is lots of art and culture as well and finally this week we need to pay our respects and condolences go out to the friends and family of Will Cousins who's the head of press at Open Britain and had been campaigning for a long time for Britain to remain in the EU rest in peace Will Even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.